Today, we're joined by Ben Fentress and Worth Gregory. Both Ben and Worth were former special teams quality control coaches at the University of Wyoming and NC State. They both offer us a wealth of information, tips, tricks, and knowledge to help you as a kicker, punter, snapper, or parent, or program coach to generate the college attention that you are seeking. They're also going to tell us why there's never been a better time than now to be in the college recruiting game as a kicker, punter, or snapper. Enjoy. Today's five-star review comes from Coach Chris Bowen. Coach Cahill's content is relevant for today's specialist. His insider information about recruiting, communications, social media, and even equipment is incredibly helpful. The episode with former NFL great David Akers is gold. It's a raw take on how difficult the recruiting scene for a specialist actually is and allows young kickers to realize that they are not alone. The episode is motivational for athletes as well. It teaches them how to advocate for themselves with their high school head coaches and college recruiting coordinators. Subscribe and glean what you can to help you or your athlete. Thanks a lot, Chris. We really appreciate it. Yep, sure. All right, guys, so I'm here with Worth Gregory and Ben Fentress. Both guys are former FBS special teams coaches, and they've spent a lot of time in the trenches, especially regarding the recruiting side of things. Um, so first question to you guys, and, um, you know, anybody can take it. What's the number one thing you see guys getting wrong about college recruiting from a specialist perspective? Well, I mean, I see a lot of kids punting the ball right down the middle of the field. And, you know, as a, a former college special teams guy, that, that worries me significantly. I mean, you're going to outkick your coverage there. And it's great to, you know, showcase a big ball, but kick the thing to the boundary. Because, um, honestly, that's what I want to see. Um, and, uh, yeah, Worth, you want to you take, take it from there? Or? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing I, I would say that guys get really kind of the myth about recruiting in general is that, is that your high school coach is going to help you out. Um, I know, obviously, there's some high school coaches that are willing to do it and have the time to do it, but really it falls on you as the player to put in the work to get recruited yourself. And I think that's really the biggest, really the myth about recruiting is that your high school coach will do it for you, or B, is that they'll, they'll find you no matter what, because if you're at a really small school, it's, it's hard to get found. Yeah, definitely. And I think um... – you know, even a lot of those kids that go to marquee name power 25 or, you know, top, sorry, power five schools or top 25 schools, a lot of those guys are driving a lot of their own recruiting, even with the attention they already kind of get from coaches. I agree. No question. I, I was the guy that ended up uh, taking a walk on to Alabama. And the way that I was able to get there is by I created a, a mailing list that I sent out to every single coach in the nation. And then I was lucky enough to get the coach at Alabama to open it. And then that's kind of where the communication line started. Yeah. And Worth, how many videos did you say you would send out? You said you would go to, uh, you would go to GameStop and you would pick up, um, you know, something to send your videos in and you would, you know, did a nice professional, um, you know, set it up nice and send it all these coaches, um, you know, and you sent it to thousands of coaches. I mean, it's, it's literally a numbers game, guys. Absolutely. I see uh, what he's talking about is I went to I went to GameStop and asked them for the, the little game cases they weren't using. Mm-hmm. And then I put it on DVDs because uh, at the time that was kind of the way to go. Right. And then I put a little cover on that 
and found the mailing address for every single school and just played the numbers game. I knew 90% weren't going to open it, but the 10% that did open it, maybe 3% were interested. And the 3% that are interested, that's like nine coaches. And all you need is one. So if I can get nine people to guarantee look at it and be interested, then it was worth my time. But nowadays, with how social media is and how easy it is to get your film, uh, there's a lot easier avenues than printing off uh, DVDs. Yeah, and I I think – I'm I'm so old, I was sending out DHS. (laughs) If that dates me right there, I mean – Yeah. I mean, I would send out so many of them, and I would – you know, send them off with a handwritten letter. And, um, yeah. and I would, I probably sent out oh, probably two or 300. Now that, you know, the recruiting game was much different back then. But, right. you know, like Worth says, it's, it's literally a numbers game. Yeah. And especially if you're coming from a smaller school. Um, sure. I had a kid in a little tiny high school in Basalt, Colorado. You know, kid had 80-yard kickoffs. I mean, he was an unreal combo. And the best I could find him was a, a PWO to, to uh, Colorado State because he was at such a tiny little school. Right. And he was way off the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. So the further you are away, away off the recruiting trail, the harder you're going to have to work. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, areas like Florida, Georgia, Texas, California. I mean, so, for example, I, I coach up in New England. I don't even think most top 25 schools have a recruiter for New England. You know, so like they, they get, they barely recruit this region. So you do have to do a lot of work. And I think kind of like you guys have both mentioned, there's no substitute for throwing a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. But I think that's also where a lot of kids and families might tend to get a little daunted with the task in front of them. I got to mail something or send something to every single coach in America what steps would you take to get a kid going in the right direction to start owning their own recruiting rather than waiting for something to happen? I would say the first step you really can do is I really preach to my guys is being able to use Twitter. I mean, especially with what's going on right now, all these coaches are just sitting on Twitter. If you're able to make a professional Twitter and have that set up, uh, that's really your landing page and you can make the brand all about you. And then from there, just being able to create content. If you have some good film, you can get yourself recruited on Twitter pretty quickly. Um, If you're able to pin the tweet and do the right things, and then after that, it's just doing the work and just DMing coaches. I mean, you can spend 30 minutes a day to message 20-plus coaches. And you need recent film. That's that's the main thing these coaches are looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, They want film that was shot. You know, and it's a little bit harder with this coronavirus going on right now. Um, You know, with most people having to stay in, but, you know, as soon as it's lifted, get that film out there, um, get it uploaded as fast as you can. Um, Get it on your Twitter account. I mean, the Twitter is the best tool for recruiting or in recruiting. I mean, it's an open forum. And I mean, it, it, it's connected a lot of players with scholarships and yeah, I, I firmly believe in it. Do you have any specific recommendations for when and how kids should take their film? Cause I mean, listen, I love a good slow-mo. Don't like, if I see a good slow-mo kicker, I'm like, man, that is like Michelangelo cutting through butter. But like a college coach is going to look at somebody setting up an iPhone on their shoe from a low camera angle and go, all right, well, that height's inflated. I don't know what it's going to look like if I'm standing there. It's slow-mo. I can't time it. So what recommendations or tips do you guys have for the types of training videos kids should be posting up on Twitter? So when they post, there you go. Well, let me just say real quick, 
Field place kickers, I want to see a live, I mean, I want to see a snap and a hold. Um, punt, I want to see a snap. I want to see a fast get off time. And I want to see, you know, hang times, especially if you're, if you're looking at FBS schools, you need to be pushing five, four, seven, four, eight, four, nine, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's ideally what I want to see. And then, you know, like I said before, punting to the boundary, if you're punting to the field. I want to make sure you can hit it outside the hashes. Um, yeah, and worth go ahead, go ahead and say what you're going to say. I was going to say the the big thing is making sure that whatever. So you want to you want to push out some content probably once a week is what I tell my guys, and then you really want to pin the best one that you have going on. You want to have that pinned on your profile because what's going to happen is they're not going to scroll too far down on your Twitter. Right. But on your when on that pinned tweet, you want it to be about thirty seconds long. If you're a combo guy, you want one of everything. So I'll kind of go through the list. If you're a punter, you you want one with a snap, with a big time hang time, and a quick get off. And as much as you can put it closer to the numbers, to the sideline, absolutely. Like that's the ideal thing you're looking for. After that, field goal is if you're only going to have 30 seconds in there, you're going to want to have a 40 plus yard field goal, maybe a 50 plus one if you can hit it. Because as much as I'm all about consistency, hitting low numbers, if you have great form and you're hitting a 55-plus-yard field goal, they're going to notice that very quickly because as much as it's easy for us to say uh, our perspective because we've played the position before, 99% of college coaches and especially even special teams coordinators um, have not punted or kicked ever in a game. So you got to think about it from their perspective. And then the last thing I'll say is for, is for kickoffs, really. I see a lot of guys put uh, some of their kickoff film online and – for me personally, I wouldn't even put it on Twitter. I wouldn't show anyone unless it goes out the back of the end zone. So if you're not hitting it 75, don't post it anywhere because for a college coach, um, sometimes kids would send me their huddle. And if I if the first clip is them kicking off, if it doesn't go out the back of the end zone, I usually would just click away immediately. Mm -hmm. And for now, junior college guys, I mean, and really polished, you know, high school kids, we want to see them, you know, kicked outside the hashes. Um, you kick it straight down the middle of the field. That's blood in the water. Um, to a special teams coach when he watches that on film. Right. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Now, you – so, for the listeners, uh, Ben was at the University of Wyoming. He's worked with Lou Groza finalists, and Worth was at NC State this past year. Uh, and where were you before that, Worth? So, I was at NC State this past year, yep. and then the year before that I was at Utah State. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, Worth and I have actually coached against each other. <laughs> yeah now you guys are, are teaming up to help kids actually get you know get recruited yeah he was yep. he was getting the scoop on the the wind situation in wyoming's field which uh at war memorial can be a um a tricky thing yeah let's, understatement. <laughs> now let's kind of talk about um so i i've the way i've kind of broken it down for kids that i've worked with in the past is you're looking at like a couple dates before a college says, I love you. It's kind of like dating, right? Like you don't say I love you on the first day. Cause that's kind of creepy. And you just met the person. So like there's junior days, then there's the summer recruiting camp. Then there's your mid season tape. And then at some point there's like that official visit and offer. What steps do you guys recommend kids take to, get on a coach's radar because like they know they have to message coaches and stuff but how do you go about explaining like how you get a coach to like make first contact with you because I feel like 
like we've all worked with kids and they like coach them sending out messages, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then finally a coach starts talking to them and that's like this wash of relief on the kid. How do you get that first contact? Are there guys that they should target specifically on those coaching staffs? Yes, um, definitely. Go ahead. Go ahead I think the, the biggest thing that you want to aim for is that at the bigger schools, so if you want to start with FBS, if you're a kicker or punter, you're aiming for the special team's quality control. So that's kind of hard to find on the website sometimes, but yeah. they'll have it on their Twitter. All these coaches will have their Twitter and they'll have it in there because everyone knows how the coaching cycle works for moving jobs and they want to promote themselves too. So the special team's quality control, the special team's coordinator is the two people that you're really aiming for at every single university in FBS. Now, when you go down the ladder, FCS, D2, the special teams coordinator will be the main one that you're aiming for. But after that, like after FBS, you really need to aim for anyone on staff because they kind of recruit as a whole more than anything after the FBS level. That's completely correct. And occasionally some of these teams will have a, um, a special teams grad assistant. Hit them up as well. Definitely hit up, um, you know, your director of on-campus recruiting. Yep. Uh, you know, they're also in there watching film, but worth, Worth said it correctly. Worth and I, you know, we were the guys that were looking for film. I mean, looking for players, you know, at NC State and uh, Wyoming and Montana State when I was there. And, um, you know, that's that's basically what a QC does in, in the offseason. You know, they're basically out looking for kickers and punters. You know, at Wyoming, they handed me a long list, you know, of regional kids and kids throughout the nation that they were interested in. And, um, yeah, I would just go through that list and watch all their film and, and invite them to camp invite them in my June camp and um, you know, the ones that came would do well um, and then they would be on our radar and then we would start to recruit, them, put them on our recruiting board and so on. So what's the number one thing you guys looked for? Like, let's say you found a kid who was great on a junior day and seems like the right type of mix. Like the tape seems good, good kid in person. They show up to your summer camp. What's the one thing you need to see from that kid at your summer recruiting camp? to keep your interest until their mid-season highlights come out? Kind of the bounce-back ability. Uh, I really – I'm not worried about a kid hitting a bad ball at camp. If I have them at camp, they're probably going to be kicking in front of the head coach at some point. And right. I want to see – I'm kind of looking forward to him hitting a bad ball because I want to see what his next ball is after, especially as a punter, um, if he's able to bounce back. But if a kid at camp in front of the head coach hits a bad ball and the next one's even worse – it's kind of like that's pretty pretty hard to convince the head coach that he's able to deal with the, the mental aspect of it. Gotcha. What do you think, Ben? I, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, you know, <clears throat> however, you, it's how you react, you know, after, you're, after you're a missed miss kick is how what defines you. Mm -hmm. You know, let's face it, we're the scout snipers of football. You know, you have a miss, you have to be able to get back in there and make the next shot. Right. I mean, that's just how it goes. I mean, it's a stressful position. You know, it's not like we're a wide receiver or a QB or, you know, an O-lineman where we have play after play after play to redeem ourselves. We have that one shot. We have to exist, you know, in that little tiny, you know, 1.3 seconds or two seconds or seven seconds, whatever it is, how long the play lasts. We don't have a lot of times to redeem ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to make it count every time. So <clears throat> how you perform in front of a coach like that, um, you know, at a junior, I mean, at a junior day, but at a, um, at a camp like that is going to, you know, going to tell me a lot on how you handle yourself and, and how you bounce back. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. 
Yeah, and if you're, it really depends on the situation of the school as well. If they're looking, if you know for a fact that they're going to scholarship a kicker or punter in this class, and you got to really be on your game. Like, you got to walk out of it that day knowing, hey, that was one of the best days kicking of my life. To be able to, for, for them to invest $250,000 essentially into you as a student. But if, you're, if they're looking for a preferred walk-on guy that's going to have to sit a couple years, sometimes they're, they may not be looking for more of the consistency, but more of the strength, you know. If you're right. going to take a chance on a, a guy that's a preferred walk-on, you know he's going to sit a couple years. If he's able to hit a 75-yard, 80-yard kickoff and he's smashing long field goals but doesn't have as much consistency, you'd rather take a chance on a couple of those guys if you know they're going to sit a couple years and maybe be able to groom them into a starter. Oh, coaches love that big frame, you know, <laughs> when they, especially when they see a punter is six, five, six, six. Right. I mean, that's, they're, that's heaven for them. I mean, they're, they're excited. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially if you have two years to develop a guy who's got a big frame on him like that. Sure. Um, a Ryan Santoso type guy, um, you know, an Aiden Snyder type guy, you know, out of Oregon. Um, those guys, you know, they were, they were fantastic and big guys too. Um, but you know, they had to sit. Sure. Oh. And, I, and I think coaches too, like I had, um, I remember I did an article with Randy Brown for the Ravens and, you know, obviously he gets to coach Justin Tucker and all that fun stuff. But like he said that I always look for the, the single best athlete of any kicking crop I'm looking at because they're going to be able to do things a little bit easier and make changes than probably a guy who isn't quite as athletic. So the coach can work with a big frame. It's kind of hard if you have like that Rudy type kicker who really has to rely on their accuracy. Um, but yeah, those are good points guys. Now, when you guys were in coaching meetings, not too long ago yourselves, coronavirus was a curveball thrown to everybody. What are the conversations like right now going on in coaching staff meetings? Do you think based off your experiences? I mean, when we'd have the flu, you know, in the building and I mean, the facility, I mean, we'd freak out. I can't imagine what they're doing now. Um, I yeah. Mean, I've talked to, I've talked to a couple coaches in the last couple of days. Um, they're still doing like zoom meetings and stuff like that. Uh, but the biggest thing is I talked to some coaches that, uh, between Texas Tech, NC State, I talked to a coach at UNC Charlotte yesterday. Um, they're really just focusing right now on recruiting, and that's it. Um, right. Usually this time of the year, they're trying to get some game plans done for the next season, trying to set up depth charts and stuff like that. But they've pushed that to the side. Their, their whole focus right now is completely on recruiting. There's still some spots available, even in the 2020 class, sure. that they know they need to fill. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, now there's never – been a, I mean, I know it stinks because coronavirus is going on and all that stuff, but you got to find ways to find the silver lining in it. And the silver lining is that literally everybody is on Twitter at least 10 times as much as they normally would be. And that includes those coaches that have been elusive for a lot of kids that they've been trying to get in touch with. Um, how have you coached your guys or consulted with your guys on making the most of this kind of awkward dead period for everybody? Well, I've just to DM as many coaches as they can, um, you know, and if they have some recent film, I mean, be able to send it to them. And, and, you know, most of the stuff we're doing right now is for 2021. You know, I've got a few 2020 guys left that are still looking, but um, yeah, it's uh, recruiting is still going strong and, and worth is hundred percent correct. I mean, that's, that's where the focus is because that's all they can do right now. 
Right. I agree. I mean, you gotta you gotta think about think about it. Most of the kids right now, they're having all this free time. They're all they're all playing Fortnite and Call of Duty. So if you're a 2021 <laughs> right now, you have a massive opportunity to come out of this way ahead of everyone else. I was just talking to Ben about this earlier today. I, I followed a coach in the SEC, and he immediately – the head coach, and he immediately followed me back in 10 seconds today. And I guarantee you any other point of the year, he would never have seen me follow him. But now I can automatically DM him, and he's going to see it. So right. that is massive. So what these kids need to be doing is take advantage of this and follow every single coach – that you can find because I think the biggest thing that guys take for granted is the whole division one or bust mindset. If you're really looking for an opportunity, if you're a kicker and punter and you're listening to this, I guarantee you that you can find a place to play in college and there is no question, but you have to be willing to play anywhere. You have to be willing to play the game that you love no matter what, because if you're really looking for a place to play, there's an NAIA, a D3 or a D2 school that I guarantee you will take you if you put the work in. Right. But and they're going to get a great education. No you know, if I started out D1 and I finished D3 and I got a great education at Maryville College in East Tennessee. I mean, no right. question. Yeah. I pushed that biggest thing I pushed for the kids in the Carolinas. Is what they don't understand is they see NC State, UNC, South right. Carolina, Clemson. But what they don't understand is that Furman, Wofford, Elon, amazing academic schools sure. that you graduate with a great degree. Shoot, Wofford will put it to you. We almost lost to them <laughs> when I was at Wyoming. Well, I think so, yeah, it's, Wofford, whew, it's funny that, for them. Well, you guys are from the South and, and the Carolinas, and but like, you know, in the Northeast, we almost have the opposite problem. It's like we only really have a handful of FBS schools. We've got like every other, we've got like 40 D3 teams and like a bunch of Division twos and a lot of FCS. But, but you know, I think just talking to other kids from other regions, I don't think a lot of kids understand that they might get a better academic money deal from a division three or division two than they might from an FCS or division one school that gives them a partial scholarship. Yeah. Because if you have good enough grades, you can combine the football money and the academic money. But the issue with some of these guys is that they're, they're so they just, they're thinking the full scholarship will cover all of it. But, some of these, most of these D2, D3 uh, schools are just going to give a partial to a kicker or punter. Yeah, well, I mean, Division Three can't, <laughs> on paper, they're not going to give you athletic money, quote unquote. But the Division Three schools, there is a bit of a trade off, you know, because they're smaller operations. Those football staffs might bring on five to 10% of the entire school's male population. So if a head coach really wants a couple players, you're going to have more chips to cash in with the admissions department to renegotiate your financial aid more so than like a school, like a Clemson or an NC state probably would. And that was my, that was precisely my experience when I transferred, um, you know, to Maryville college. I mean, they were, they were really able to work with the admissions department and get me in like in no time. Right. I mean, like I talked to him a week and a week later I was, you know, on campus. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, they, they can definitely pull some strings at the D3 level, NAIA, um, some D2s. Um, it's, things get a lot more complicated when you start getting in the FCS. Um, FCS, so you know, regulated. they – Yeah, FCS, they're much more regulated. Um, you know, as far as what you can do recruiting, as far as your, how, many, uh, how many players you can have on roster, how many re um, recruited athletes you can have on roster or scholarship athletes you can have on roster. So, yeah, it, it – it's definitely a lot more uh, complicated and, um, you know, and a lot of kids, 
some kids don't realize that, you know, FBS cannot give partial scholarships. Mm -hmm. It's all or none. Now, FCS can. FCS can give you 10%, 20%, 50 60 whatever they deem, you know, that they, they feel like your play is worth. But, um, you know, a lot of kids out there, and I mean, most kids do know that, you know, FBS doesn't give scholarships, but it's good to let them know that, uh, I mean, FBS doesn't give um, partial scholarships. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's always something to kind of keep in mind. How do you guys go about setting realistic goals for kids? So, for example, like one of the constant tensions that I see as a coach and I see it happens in every sport, but you know, if you're acting in the capacity of a private coach outside of a school district or a team, you have an economic, there's an economic component cause you're running a business. Right. But then you also know coaches who are going to use you as a trusted advisor for like pointing you in the right direction. So for example, like, let's say you have two kids, one kid goes to everything that you do, you know, great kid. He's done every event. He's economically one of your best clients. Then there's another kid who's only gone to one event, but he's clearly an, an FBS level talent. College coach calls you up and then asks you who your recommendation is for. How do you go about having that conversation with kids about, when and how you make introductions to college coaches. Cause we, I mean, in the kicking world, in the, the quarterback coaching world, all this, you know, speed coaching world, all this stuff, there are the guys who say, I'm going to get you an offer. Come train with me. I'll get you a full ride. But like, they're not even on staff. So how do you go about having that conversation with kids about how making a recommendation or an introduction works with a college coach? In our position, I, I just push the best kid, to be honest. If a, if a coach calls me, I had a coach, um, an FBS coach call me yesterday, and I recommended a kid that I've never even seen kick live in front of me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend the best guy that I know that's available because at the end of the day, if I recommend the wrong guy and they take him, I've burnt that bridge, not only with that coach, but the 10 coaches on staff and that whole university probably forever. And if you burn too many bridges in this business, you're going to be left with not nowhere to send a kid and your words really going to mean nothing. Um, as much as a kid comes to your stuff, I mean, it doesn't change the amount of work a kid puts in because it's not as much as kicking and punting. If you're born as a punter and you're six, five, like, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have some more ability. Uh, you're going to have a bigger ceiling than some of these kids. But at the end of the day, you can grab, I can grab a random kid off the street and if I spend three hours a day with him working on punting for him and he spends two hours a day doing the recruiting on Twitter, so he's spending five, eight hours a day working on special teams, whether it's kicking or recruiting, I can get him into college in two years if he puts the work in. And that's, that's really it. I mean, it's, as much as it's some of the stuff you're born with, how much work you put in is everything. <clears throat> and it comes down to drill work as well. I mean, that's, that's specifically what they have to do. And it's, it's, you know, you and I as, as former QCs coaches, we could see right away when a kid wouldn't do his drill work on film. Um, back to the previous question, though, what I was going to say, like, I tell the kids, and I try to be as transparent as possible, and I tell the parents this as well, I work for the universities first, because these universities will be around forever. Um, I want to try to find you a place to play, but I'm going to look out for the best interest of the universities, because, you know, I have to make sure that you're going to fit in this school. I cannot set you up to fail. I have to send you to the right school, a school that's going to that's gonna use your skill set correctly. 
if I send you someplace you really want to go to, but I don't think you're going to really make sense for them, I'm not going to send their film, film there because I don't think it's going to make sense for them. So I've always been pretty transparent telling these parents and kids or, and, and JUCO transfers and, and uh, you know, PWO transfers that I work for these universities first because they're going to be around forever and we cannot burn bridges here. And if I don't think you're going to work out there, I'm not going to send you there. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and it's, it's not like a lot of other businesses where if it's like, Hey, if I'm your, your best client, then you better recommend me for something like somebody's coach, somebody's livelihood relies on what this kid does. So I think keeping in mind, like, Hey, the allegiance is to the job security of the coach. I'm going to give your information to first and foremost. I think that, that that's a tough conversation to have, but if you're, I think if a coach really respects a kid and really respects a family, they're going to have those conversations like you guys are already having with your kids. Um, let's kind of transition a little bit. There are uh, many tools to put yourself in a better situation to be recruited to the school of your choice. Nothing will guarantee it, but there are tools that can nudge you in place uh, to make you more marketable and things like that, whether it's getting on Twitter, whether it's working with a, a coach, experienced coaches like you guys, there's also uh, ranking camps as well. Now ranking is, it's really nothing new. It's in every single sport. Um, it's across all age levels, but I think ranking in terms of kicking and punting and snapping is so difficult and subjective because nobody really has the same terminology or evaluation standards for what a good kicker looks like. We know what a bad one looks like, but we don't know what a great one looks like. There's no consensus on that. So can you guys talk about the case for attending a ranking camp and the case for why you might not need to go to a ranking camp? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say the biggest case that I would make for these ranking camps is that if you're, if you're a guy that's going to be like, if you look at like Sailor or Coles or all these big time, big time ranking camps, the, the consensus of it is if you're, if you're between one and 10, you're like a really big time guy. But if you're one of the guys that's 10 to 150, you know, like you're going to fall in the D1, AA, D2, um, D3 possibility. And the reason that I would say to go to these in general is because these D2 and D1, AA schools don't have the manpower as much or the time in general to be able to look through every single kid's film in the world. And so what they do is they'll go to these ranking websites and they'll look at the guys that are in their state and they'll reach out to them and they'll start looking through those guys. I wouldn't say they are going to, they're never going to offer a guy straight off his ranking, but what they'll do is it, it kind of puts you on the map more than anything. The starting point you're saying. Starting point. Absolutely. The, but the problem that I would say as these are very helpful if your goal is to showcase and compete, but if you're going to one of these big time camps um, trying to fix your whole form and change something, then I think that's where you'll kind of be misled. Gotcha. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to find, uh, be able to fix your form as some private coaches in your local area. Um, you know, these coaches that don't live in the, the areas and, you know, kind of travel around and run these rankings camps. I think they're, they serve a purpose. Um, and that purpose is like worth said is to compete. And I think that, you know, you're going to have to get in there and compete at some point in your college career against, you know, two or three other guys that are trying to start. So I think that that's, you know, for me, that's where I think that they have their most benefit. Um, where I feel like they, what, like Worth said, you know, if you're 10 to 150, 
that's where things, you know, they, they do look at the top 10 and they do look what's in their state, what's in their, um, what's regionally, you know, college coaches. But I mean, I've, I've had a lot of kids come to me and they're like, God, I'm now I'm like ranked 70 at this is going to hurt me. But you know, my measurables are better than the guy who's ranked fifth. I don't understand what's going on. Right. Um, and that's when I, I have a problem with that. Um, right. You know, I want to know really why is this kid ranked this way? And, you know, did he not go to a showcase and now he's dropped down to, uh, you know, hundred, I mean, you know, like hundred where he was 30th. Um, you know, I don't think that's really fair to kids. Right. Um, and I don't think it's really very ethical either. I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the, it, it's hard cause we, you know, like the standard, everybody's standards for what is an X, Y, Z kicker are kind of different, even college to college. Like, some special teams coordinators want a kicker to talk, look, act, and have a certain sound off the ball. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, they might, they might be talking about the same exact thing, but use different analogies. It, it, it is definitely a convoluted and confusing process for sure. Yeah. I mean, every school has, you know, different things they're looking for, you know, Craig Bull at Wyoming, he's a great man to work for a great boss, um, hell of a coach. He, he looked, when he looked for kickers, he looked for guys that were good athletes, you know, like you were talking about um, someone who could adapt, you know, like you were talking about um, rather than your, what did, what was the phrase you used? Your uh, Rudy kicker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your, your Rudy guy. Yeah. I mean, Cooper Roth, he was like an all state baseball player, um, all state corner. Um, the ninth player in this, I mean, recruited player in this number nine player overall in the state of Colorado as a corner. Um, didn't even really think about kicking in college and, uh, Ball said, hey, I want you to kick for me. And sure enough, that's how he ended up there. And, mm-hmm. you know, the rest is history. He had a pretty great career there. And, um, but yeah, um, every school is just looking for something different. Um, and, you know, these recruiting sites and I mean, these, uh, these ranking sites, you know, it's like you guys said, it's a great place to start. And I've talked to other, a lot of other college coaches and they all believe the same thing. And, um, you know, and I think um, some of these guys do a great job with it. And, um, you know, we, they help us and we help them. And as far as we, we train these guys and get them ready for these events and yeah. Gotcha. So, I think the other thing that's big time for these camps is kind of being able to see, uh, kind of being able to judge yourself against other guys. I mean, be realistic with yourself when you go to these massive camps in Atlanta that are like a hundred plus kids. Do you, do you really think that you are one of the top 10 guys there? And if you go out there and you don't even make even the semifinals or the quarterfinals of like the competition based stuff, like realistically, if you're not one of those top five guys, you're not winning the camp. Like it's, it's a pretty hard convince to me that you're a scholarship guy, division one power five guy. Um, mm-hmm. And you just gotta, I think it kind of gives you some perspective. Like you go to these big time camps, you, and you just sit, I mean, you're going from sitting at home and just kicking by yourself and you think you're the greatest kicker in the world. You make every field goal. But when you go live in front of all these guys, you don't make as many, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it makes guys be realistic with themselves and they got to figure out. I think that's the biggest tool to figure out what level that you know you can play at. Yeah. and I, I, Yeah, there's – I remember, you know, I think everybody's had an experience where they've gone to some type of big, uh, you know, meat market camp or combine camp and – you know, it, it's definitely tough, especially if you're a young kid. And it's, it's, it's funny, like you'll have the, the private coaches 
rail against the ranking camps and the ranking camps or rail against the private coaches, but really it's a symbiotic relationship. One, absolutely. One business yes, creates absolutely. the market for the other business, you know? So I don't know. I think, but that's kind of funny in like any sport though, you have like these big, uh, you know, these big camp organizers, kids go to those camps, see how they don't stack up or see how they want to get better. And then they seek out a smaller, you know, local coach who's going to get them better, which is going to then boost the, brand and the performance of the ranking camp in the first place so kind of round and round we go now there's there's another you know there's other recruiting services out there um you know you got your your shady like twitter hype men and stuff like that um do you think a service like i think it's called ncsa right or is that what it's called the, yep. yeah they, yep. they hit the naia to d2 kind of deal they hit the smaller schools Yep. And, and I think they can serve a purpose in that you, if you can, yeah. I tell every kid, you know, any offer is a good offer. If yeah. you can get a D2 or, or D3 or NAI offer, I mean, these F's, these bigger fish will look at you. Mm-hmm. You know, the FCS, the FBS schools, they're going to look at you. All right. He's getting some interest. He's getting quite a bit of interest. He has five, six offers. Gotcha. Uh, take those offers for sure. I mean, they're going to attract bigger offers. Yeah, and I, th- I think we're like kids, you guys in Worth and Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think kids are, um, you know, they're almost too quick to just say like D1's awesome. Like, so for example, there's a kid I worked with, his dream school was um, this, you know, pretty pre- prestigious FCS, high academic school. He had an opportunity to go there, but he was going to probably sit for, a, you know, a year or two to develop. And then just kind of on a whim, he went to uh, a small D3 school. Uh, like open house junior day and he just like really hit it off with the coach and the coach is like look you know we're in the playoffs every year we don't have a kicker you probably would start 40 games if you came here you know so like and then he just went to the division three school and he's really happy for it I think you know kind of like you said worth like the more specific you are and narrow-minded you are the less opportunities you might find could you talk to me about how you talk to your guys about looking at all possibilities yeah, you really got to be able to be open for everything, especially when you have nothing. You don't really get to be able to pick and choose when you have no offers. And that's why I'll kind of like the, the NCSA stuff, to be honest, um, if you look at how they do it, they're really just doing the work that you could be doing. Right. So if you're paying NCSA and you're setting up a profile, first off, no coaches look at that profile. Um, they immediately just go to your Twitter or Google you and look at your huddle. They're not like the profile, the landing page is basically irrelevant. So you're not really paying for that. What you're paying for is you're paying for him to just message schools. And the question of that is whether or not it just ends up in the trash because almost every email I'll get from an NCSA guy at division one, I, I would usually just throw in the junk box to, because to be honest, um, if the kid's not willing to message me himself, uh, I didn't think he'd be even that interested so I'm pretty, I'm pretty against that service in general because I think you have to put in the work yourself to get recruited more than anything. Right. Yeah, they're just throwing out a big net more or less. Um, yeah, I mean, coaches want to see a kid takes initiative. I mean, I remember the kids that, you know, and Worth and I talked about this today, the ones that, you know, wrote thank you letters after they visited on like a junior day or, you know, they visited like, you know, a weekend on spring ball or something like that. Those are the kids that really stood out to me. Those, those are guys who are, you know, those are men I'm talking to, not boys, who do stuff like that. Um, and that's, those, that's the kind of athlete I'd want to recruit, you know, someone who handles, them, handles everything themselves, you know. I don't want to talk to your parents, really. 
Um, <laughs> I'd prefer to talk to you. You know, I, I want to know what you want to, you know, major in. I want to know what, you know, what kind of school you want to go to. I want to find a good fit for the both both parties. You know, the athlete and the and the school. So. Now, do you? And that's a lot of good stuff there. So let let's we'll linger on visits, and then we'll talk about parents in a second. I was at a. I think it was Rutgers. I knew one of their, one of their special teams quality control guys had invited me out to a spring practice and uh, they had a bunch of kids there for like an open house and stuff. But like, I would say about, you know, half or a third of those kids were just like, you know, super sloppy dress, like on their phone the whole time. They cared more about charging their damn iPhone than they did about paying attention to the practice. You know, like what are your cardinal rules for, presenting yourself as a professional young man when you go to a college campus? Well, dress nicely, first and foremost. Be attentive to when the coach is talking to you. Um, you know, know your stats, know your, G, you know, know your GPA, at least have something to maybe hand the coach. Um, you know, something, you know, make an impression. Um, you know, don't, if you're going to, if you're sitting on your phone the whole time or, you know, I mean, I had a, I'll never forget this. I had a kid one time, his dad showed up wearing an air force jacket and I was coaching at Wyoming and I'm like, Oh Lord. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm people like don't that forget be, that. Yeah. Right. I mean, so just little things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say one of the things that me and Ben have talked about before is, is I would write a handwritten letter after you leave. I think that's very important. And that's, that's something that'll set you apart from a lot of these kids. You know, if I always, I always thought in my head, if a kid is at the visit and the whole time, if a kid is even asking about when the photo shoot is or is thinking about the photo shoot at any point, then he should not be on that visit. Because if you're there to get an Instagram picture, then you're not going to end up at that school. Right. And I think uh, it's funny, like the, the photo shoots look more like something from Zoolander now than like, I don't even know when that became a thing. I think that's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like if I was in high school, I would totally dig it as a recruit, but like, it, it seems like kids spend more time worrying about their like commitment or now a decommitment post than about actually like doing the work and finding a school that they want to be a, uh, a player on. I mean, the last thing you want to recruit is a drama queen and, and seeing, seeing the never ending decommitment committed. I mean, all that stuff, all the drama. I mean, do these kids not know that they're, I mean, they're, they're looking so toxic to a head coach. Right. I mean, I don't know. I uh, just, you know, it, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know. Don't have a word for it, but uh, it's right. frustrating to see kids go down that road. Sure. Have you had you any know. experience with that worth at all at NC or, you know, in your, in your past uh, coaching jobs? Yeah, you see it a little bit. I think, I think what you see more than ever is you see on some of these visits is the, is the parent asking all the questions or the parent kind of being more involved in the process. than That's anything. a red flag for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for, for recruiting in general, um, especially if I got a DM or an email from a parent, I would delete it immediately. Um, if your dad's trying to do your recruiting for you, then you're not coming to my school. Um, cause you're not going to put the work in if your dad, cause your dad's not going to be here at four in the morning when we're doing summer runs, you know, like your dad's not going to be standing beside me when we got to kick a game winning field goal. Like it's going to be you, um, you got to come prepared asking the questions 
and that you got to kind of own your own recruiting process because it's this is all about you. I know some of these, if it's a preferred walk-on or stuff, and your parents are going to pay for it, that's a little different. But if you're either going to be taking on student loans for this or you're the one getting offered the full scholarships, this is, this is your opportunity and no one else's. This is your life. you got to take advantage of it. How have you, uh, Ben or, or Worth, how have you guys gone about – I guess now, cause it's different. Cause now you're not a part of official coaching staffs anymore. You work uh, more privately with kids and their families. How do you balance, uh, you know, a parent wanting the best for their kid while also understanding that like they need to give them space to make their own decisions. And I, I think, so I've been a high school teacher for a long time and I think parents are in a tough spot and, and parent, you know, parents get a bad rap sometimes because there's always that one crazy parent who like beats, beats up an umpire at their kid's baseball game. And everybody says parents are nuts now, but um, I think they're trying to balance like giving their kids space while also understanding their kids, not quite an adult yet. And they still need to be a part of the process. What do you think the ideal role of a parent is during the recruiting process for any kid looking to play college football? Um, first question though is really, uh, I would say, is the parent going to be paying for the school? That's the first question I would ask, like in this scenario. Okay. Uh, like, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? If the parent's paying for the school and the kid is fine with it, then you have to let your parents be involved. If they're going to dish out 200 K for you to go play football, right. You have to let them be involved. But if you don't want your parents, um, if you want this to be all your decision, and you're either going to be taking on student loans or you're getting the full scholarship, then this is about you and you need to make it all about you because that's who it is about. I mean, it's your life. I mean, I'm dealing with it right now. I mean, I have student loans that I'll be paying off the next 30 years because I made the decision to walk on at an SEC school at high school, you know, and that's, and my parents let me make that decision because I know as much as it's like, Oh, you're 17, 18, you're not really an adult yet, but if I'm going to play in front of a hundred thousand on live TV, uh, I mean, I better decide to grow up pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah. Mommy and dad are not going to be able to walk out on the field with you there. And worth is completely correct on that. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Where do you guys see recruiting going in the next five to 10 years? I mean, obviously the, everything's been kind of hit, hit pause with, with sports in general, especially college sports, but you know, the NCAA has shown that they are willing to roll back a little bit on like paying student athletes and stuff like that. Where do you see recruiting going in the next 10 years or so? Well, one of the main things and what's, what's hitting us now is, uh, you know, the new transfer rules that has completely changed everything. How so? And what, what are the new transfer rules and how have they? <clears throat> well, the, the, new, the new one that's in place right now is if you've never received aid, basically if you're a PWO at a school, you can transfer one time free and clear. Vertical or, I mean, lateral, doesn't matter, down. You don't have to sit out? Time. Nope. Okay. Now what the talk is, and they were supposed to rule on this in, in April, but I don't think that's going to happen right now. I don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus and everything, but um, they're going to – there's, it's supposed to pass from what I've been told because the NCA is tired of looking inconsistent, you know, ruling on, you know, the whole Justin Fields thing or say like uh, Tate Martell and then the telling the kid, you know, who had the grandparent who was sick um, that he couldn't, you know, live near his house. I mean, I mean, play near um, 
play back in, um, you know, rural Virginia where he was from. So they weren't very consistent on that. So basically what's going on now is they want to propose a rule that says you can transfer, even if you're a scholarship athlete, even if you received aid or what they call a recruited athlete, one time free and clear. Mm-hmm. So if that goes through, that's going to change everything. Um, and it's already in the PWO thing has already changed recruiting significantly, you know, where, whereas these kids, you know, that they were taking a lot of high school kids, um, you know, at the FBS level. Now they're really after transfers mm-hmm. um, guys that were PWOs at schools. They had a, you know, they had a pretty crowded specialist room, you know, looking for a new team to play for, um, you know, they put themselves in the portal and boom, I mean, they end up at, you know, transferring you know to a, a lateral team you know say gotcha. from like say like a michigan to like an arkansas or somewhere like that so gotcha yeah. what about you uh worth what do you, where do you see college recruiting going in the next 10 years or so well the last even the last three or four years you've seen it with punters and kickers where you're really getting preferred walk-ons more than anything yeah um, why, why is that that there's more preferred walk-ons for that position well, I think what happens is they most of them kind of try the shotgun approach. Um, there's a there's a big school in Pennsylvania and there's a big school in Virginia that are pretty well known for um, only giving out preferred walk-ons. Um, they usually give out four or five every year to every kicker in the area. Um, and because they're that local school, I mean, they're that dream school, you're going to get two or three kids to bite. You bring them into camp, you have them compete. And then you end up with one guy that really ends up being the dude and the other, other guy's got to transfer. Um, right. I had to deal with that at Alabama. We had nine guys at one point and out of the nine of us that were there, only one guy ended up even playing at the school um, because they know, I think the biggest thing is they know their power. You know, if you're going to go offer a punter, uh, if you're Alabama and you offer two punters preferred walk-ons, you're probably going to get one of them. Um, and that, that's really – that's what they, what's, what they know, you know, because if they're going to offer a bunch of preferred walk-ons, they're going to get a kid at these big-time schools, and he's going to turn down a Division two full scholarship for Alabama. Right. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I think – and every school is different too. Like, uh, for example, there's some FCS schools in New England that will give you like a one-third scholarship if you start – as a field goal kicker and then they'll give you another third if you're the kickoff guy and they'll give you a full ride if you do all three I mean I think typically the FCS and and D2 have less money to play with but um yeah it definitely seems like that shotgun approach is more common than it has been um can you guys talk about the correlation between GPA ACT SAT scores and college football opportunities massively so there's a, there's a kid right now that we coach in Georgia. Uh, his name's Connor Wesselman, and this kid is 1350 SAT, 34 ACT. He's getting ridiculous amount of calls from coaches solely off the grades. They're looking at the grades first. Um, right. If you have those grades, every door is open to you. But if you don't have those grades, a lot of doors can close for you. Um, and I'm that tells sure. a coach a lot about a player worth. Wouldn't you agree? Like as far Absolutely. as like their worth ethic and mm-hmm. I mean, their work ethic and um, you know, how, you know, they're going to spend the long hours there because they're used to doing that with the books. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I'll speak to is 
when you sit, so every single Sunday, all these coaches sit in a staff meeting. Um, it depends on the school, but for us, it was every, every Sunday or Monday. And we have a two and a half hour long or two hour long meeting about academics. And they're going to cover 35 plus kids on the team, what their grade is in the classes. They're going to cover every single class, what is due. And whenever if they bring up the D lineman that has a, a 2-0, the head coach is going to be staring at the D line coach the whole time and may even cuss them out in front of the whole staff about this kid failing a class. So the perspective that you need to view it as a player is if your special teams coach is getting cussed out for you in meetings for you having bad grades, imagine if you had amazing grades going into it. He knows that he's not going to have to worry about you. And that is a huge weight lifted off their chest because I've sat in meetings where I've got yelled at for my kids' grades. And I've sat in meetings where I have no one on the list. And it feels just amazing knowing that my guys are, I don't have to worry about them. Right. And you, and you don't want to be one of those class check guys, one of the guys they have to send a guy around in the golf cart to go check and see if you made it to class. Yeah. Because they'll do that. Nobody likes an idiot kicker. No, and nobody likes a no. kicker anyway. But then, like, if you're a problem, <laughs> if you're a problem and you're a kicker, then that's a double whammy. And I think, oh. you know, schools are changing where, like, I think, well, maybe more D3, D2, but, like, you know, SATs don't have the strength that they used to have. But for better or worse, you know, your, your GPA is a reflection to a college coach of your commitment to the community that you're in at that school. So if you're – if you're thinking just because you can hit a touchback, you know, you're going to like go ball out and all this stuff. Like it, it's just like, it's kind of nonsense almost. Yeah. And the, the other thing though, is even if you're trying to take a walk on opportunity, um, every school, I won't speak to every single school, but you only have a list. You have a certain number of guys that you can get into the university straight up. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'll be there worth. I'm still here. Yeah, did Worth drop out or Worth? Hello? Hey, Hello? Worth. What's, What's up, man? Out? Sorry. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I was saying, if you have a guy that's like a 2-0 um, GPA, but he has like 900 SAT and he's a qualifier, well, some schools can take as a walk-on eight or nine guys that are just straight qualifiers as walk-ons. Like they can push them through the grades and then get them into the school. So if a school only has eight or nine um, like weights to be able to pull – they're not really going to use it on the kickers and punters of the world. Right. You're not going to have anybody do you many favors as a kicker. No, That's they're going to hold not. up for a D tackle an outside backer, a nickel or something like that. Um, you know, one thing to take and one thing to know is that, you know, your kicker and punter and when it comes to recruiting now, not every year, um, it depends on what the need is, depends on, you know, if they've just graduated someone or if they don't have, you know, they don't have the stats they're looking for. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to go out and try to recruit somebody. Um, sorry, can you omit this part? Howard, I'm having a total brain fart. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, you're good. Sorry about that. I just got totally lost in what I was saying. <laughs> that's all right, dude. It happens all the time. Um, well, let's, let's, let's start trying to bring the, the podcast in for a landing. So when um, – I guess real quick, there's, there are guys listening who might be in a transfer situation. What is one really short piece of advice you can give on a kid who's thinking about transferring? Um, you know, make sure that you have a good relationship with your old coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they need to be able to say some nice words about you whenever you transfer. 
Um, yeah, and if you're if you're thinking about transferring, the number one thing you need is you actually need to have the grades. You know, you have grades to have your completely lined up, and then you got to be you got to be all in on yourself mentally to transfer. You know, and some of these guys transfer and think it's just going to happen for them, but you're back. You got to you got to view yourself as lower than a high school senior, basically, because you're gonna you're completely off the grid and you got to restart from the ground um, to really get recruited again. Right. When you look at, um, you know, when you look at what you guys do, you know, really what we're doing is we're helping kids become better versions of themselves as, as a coach, any coach does that. What's the one thing you want somebody listening to this podcast to take away about recruiting? I mean, do, do a lot of the recruiting work yourself, like what Worth and I've been telling you. You know, that, that shows a coach everything. This kid's a go-getter. He's going to work hard. He's going to, you know, he believes in his, his own abilities and he's going to promote himself. Um, you know, your, your private coach and your high school coach um, can only do, and a recruiting service can only do so much. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'll tell, I'll tell kind of a quick story here is there was a coach at Ohio State about 10 years back, uh, head coach, um, and on National Signing Day, through the fax machine of the Signing Day fax, uh, a fax came through from a guy looking for a GA opportunity, um, just wanted to be a grad assistant and was begging the coach to work for him. And what happened is the guy sent out his resume to be a GA to every single school's fax number in the whole nation. And now that, now that person is a division one special teams coordinator um, wow. up North in Indiana. And he, and that is all solely because of the work that he put in and how he got noticed. Uh, Jim Tressel saw it at Ohio State and immediately hired him. So the biggest takeaway I'll say kind of from that story is you got to put the work in and you got to make yourself different than every other guy to get noticed, especially if you're one of those guys that's middle of the pack athletically and you know that. Right. What? And yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. I mean, there's you have to separate yourself and sometimes your work ethic is going to do that. All things being equal, the kid that shoots out more arrows is going to get more hits on target. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Um, I'm at ben.fentress at one-on-one-kickingcamps.com. Awesome. And I'm, I'm just at worthgregory40 uh, on Instagram. So if you just search my name on Instagram, uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, every single social media, you name it, uh, just search my name and you'll find it. You can DM me and I'll always respond. Awesome. Same here. There's not a lot of Ben Fentresses out there. I'm all over. I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that. <laughs> There's awesome. not a lot of worth either, man. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People 2 podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free, cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.